Kia ora and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, MMP and democracy. For the first time under MMP, the highest polling party is not leading the government. Despite winning 44% of the party vote, easily ahead of Labour's 37%, National could not win the support of New Zealand First to form a government. And that's upset many National Party MPs and their supporters. But does the outcome also say anything about the MMP system itself? The convention has been in most MMP parliaments for the party to get the largest vote to form a government and that is where the convention that has been set with this election is unusual and in my view concerning. The former government minister and Tasman MP Nick Smith says National won the election and questions why it's still not in government. National MPs were angry and bitter and even now, more than a month later, some appear to feel they were robbed. And they seem to blame MMP. But constitutional lawyer Sir Geoffrey Palmer, a former Labour Prime Minister, has no sympathy for their complaints. Sir Geoffrey says National was unable to command a majority in Parliament to form a government, while Labour could. That is actually the essence of democracy. The majority rules. That is the rule. And that is what happened here. I'm Brent Edwards, and this week Insight looks at whether changes are needed, or are the complaints simply from people upset by the final result. What a campaign! The voters have spoken, and now we have... On election night, it was obvious the then Prime Minister and National Party leader Bill English thought he'd won. And there was no sense of triumph from the Labour Party leader, Jacinda Ardern. I've come off the field knowing we gave it our all. But under MMP, the election is only the beginning. Once the results come in, the parties then have to start negotiating. In this case, New Zealand First ended up with a pivotal block and the opportunity to decide whether National or Labour would lead the government. After the special votes were counted, National's election night lead over Labour and the Greens fell from six to two seats, increasing the chances of a change of government. Despite media commentary about the length of the negotiations, the new government was formed in a little over a month after the election, and national ministers had to move out of their offices here at the Beehive to their new opposition digs in the old parliament building next door. Well, the talks are over. The horse trading pretty much done. Now we await a decision from New Zealand First on who will lead the next government. Compare that with Germany, where the incumbent Chancellor, Angela Merkel, is still struggling to stitch a government together nearly three months after its election. Yet not everyone was happy with the process, particularly the role played by New Zealand First. Journalist and columnist Carl Dufresne is one of those. You will never convince me that this was anything but wonky. Absolutely wonky. This is not a model liberal democracy in action. Mr Dufresne is particularly upset New Zealand First was able to go back and forth between Labour and National during the post-election negotiations before deciding which party it would support. It seems to me that there's some sort of um, constitutional vacuum uh, when it comes to forming um, coalition governments. There doesn't seem to be any uh, process, no set rules, no mechanisms by which this happens. And, it, you know, you get the impression that it's left to whoever happens to grasp the initiative. And in this case, um, it was Winston Peters. And he orchestrated the entire process uh, so that both the major parties ended up dancing to his tune. The former United Future leader, Peter Dunn, agrees. 
the convention that people thought was in place was that the largest party would get the first opportunity to form a government. Uh, that doesn't mean that they would necessarily have succeeded, but that question about whether they should get the first opportunity. And I'm inclined to think that should be the case. Uh, that's been what's occurred over five of the last eight elections that we've had under MMP, mainly because there hasn't been a real issue as to who the, the likely combinations are. But I do think people expected that. I think what they didn't like was the, what we now see was far more obvious than perhaps even at the time, was the playing off of one against the other to ratchet up the deal, not for the 93%, but for the 7%. National leader Bill English's initial response to the announcement that New Zealand First had opted to support Labour was gracious. About um, 40 minutes ago I rang uh, Jacinda Ardern to congratulate her on becoming Prime Minister of New Zealand and uh, being able to form a government. Uh, I'm one of those few people who know uh, what a privilege it is uh, to be Prime Minister of this country. Later though, National MPs began to question the outcome given National had won more votes than any other single party. Talking to reporters at Parliament, Nick Smith expressed surprise at what happened. I certainly think the outcome is very unusual. We've got over 50 parliaments in the world that have proportionate type systems. It is almost unheard of for a party to get 44.4% of the vote and not to be part of the government. A more realistic Stephen Joyce, National's campaign manager, says it's been a long time since the party with most seats didn't form the government, but he recognises that under MMP it's possible. It is an historic change. I mean, it's the first time in New Zealand, I think, since 1911 that there's been a government that hasn't involved the largest party in the House in terms of seats. So it's a, it's, it, is, it is an historic decision, and a lot of people would have been surprised by it because they didn't expect it to have happened, but they certainly can't say that, that wasn't anticipated under MMP because it was. Are you upset by that? Is that what you would have expected to happen given the vote that you got? Well, we're obviously disappointed, and that's, of course, one of the reasons why, as the campaigns that came towards them, we urged people to vote for who they wanted to see in government because we were concerned that there were people potentially giving their vote to third parties who wanted us to get there but actually not, but, but they thought that they'd delegate that responsibility to Winston Peters or whomever. And the challenge with that, as we subsequently all learnt, is that, is that those people may or may not choose the party that you actually want to be in government, to be in government. And I think that's one of the lessons that people will take from the election, is that, well, if I do want a particular outcome, well, then it's important that I vote for it. Of course, national MPs conveniently overlooked the elections in 1978 and 81, when their party won fewer votes than Labour under the first-past-the-post electoral system, but still formed the government. The Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, doesn't have any time for National's dissatisfaction with the final outcome. I think it's one thing to have uh, a hope that the outcome would be different. It's another to question the legitimacy of MMP, because there is no question that we form the majority. We would not have been able to form a government and have the Governor-General accept that we were able to form a majority without having the votes in place. And that, of course, means that we were supported by the popular vote. What they may be referring to is whether or not those votes coalesced around one party versus three parties. But that's MMP. Sir Geoffrey Palmer says no-one should be surprised or shocked. The fundamental constitutional fact is that in order to be the government, one has to be able to command a majority in the House of Representatives. The National Party found two of its support parties wiped out at the general election, 
and one of them, which was its own creation which survived, wasn't of great utility in the circumstances. 44.4% of the vote is not enough to command a majority. And unless you can command a majority, you cannot be the government. So the fact that there were three parties who formed the government is precisely what can be expected under this system. That doesn't reassure critics like Carl Dufresne, who says there needs to be clearer rules around the government coalition negotiation process. I just can't help but wonder whether we should ensure in future that some neutral party, whether it's the Governor-General, whether it's the Chief Justice, whoever, takes control over the, of the coalition forming process so that it isn't left to a rogue politician, which is how I regard Winston Peters. Peter Dunn also supports having some kind of convention or rule giving the party with most votes the first opportunity to form a government. But Sir Geoffrey dismisses notions that any party should have prior rights in the negotiations. It's important to know that politicians are good at negotiating. They have to reach compromises all the time. To inhibit them by trying to enact rules about how the negotiations will proceed is not sensible, not workable and not practical. Quite, quite <laughs> Stephen Joyce, who's known nothing other than being a government minister, must now get used to Parliament as an opposition MP. But while his party lost out during the coalition negotiations, he too sees little point in imposing rules around how negotiations should be conducted. If you made a smaller party negotiate with the largest party first, they might do that in a perfunctory manner and then and then say, well, that was too difficult, I'll go off and talk to these guys and maybe come back. So I trying to prescribe how this occurs, I think, is tricky, but no doubt the constitutional lawyers will wrap themselves up in all sorts of excitement for some time trying to work out whether that's something that should happen. But, but you don't think it would make any difference? I just think in a practical sense it probably doesn't make much difference. I'm prepared to be persuaded, but I don't think it necessarily makes, a, makes any big difference because it requires ultimately uh, for the parties to get together. And what became apparent is that Mr Peters wanted more change than he actually let on during the election campaign. So this is an historic moment for the Green Party and for our movement uh, because for the first time uh, we are going to be uh, probably in a position uh, to have ministerial control in the areas that are important to us. The Greens, who have a support arrangement with Labour but not a formal coalition agreement, don't oppose the idea of putting some rules around coalition negotiations. Their co-leader and climate change minister James Shaw says it could be worth looking at the possibility that the largest party should get the first chance at forming a government. I think it's worth examining, right, because again, if you look at the European parliaments, which are, you know, like ours, multi-party democracies, um, where you have coalition governments most of the time, many of them have kind of conventions or rules around the formation of government, uh, and in a number of cases the head of state, the president or the you know, um, king or queen will invite the leader of the largest party in parliament to attempt to form a government first. And if that, then, if that attempt fails, then they will ask the leader of the second largest party to form a government. And, and so you kind of go through, you know, there's a bit of a process there. But like Stephen Joyce, James Shaw doesn't believe it would have made any difference to the formation of a Labour-led government. The Deputy Prime Minister and New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters dismisses the suggestion. The first negotiations began with national, but the idea that you suspend talking to any other party whilst you have negotiations over here 
is a terrible time waster. And so the, the job is to start with the party with the most votes, but you would not rule out the, the other parties as well, just in case your negotiations are not successful. Now, circumstances always change. I was approached in 2005 by a five-party arrangement to join a four-party arrangement and make it five parties. And all I could see personally back then was a snap election within a matter of six months, designed so and decidedly so. And I thought the risk was far too high, so when the Labour Party contacted us, we went with Labour. A signature and handshake to seal the deal. Labour's coalition agreement with New Zealand First and its support arrangement with the Greens was signed on October the 24th. Under the more formal coalition agreement, New Zealand First has four ministers in Cabinet, while the Green Party has three ministers outside Cabinet. The former Labour Party deputy leader, Annette King, who retired from politics at the election, was involved in the negotiations with New Zealand First. She says Winston Peters and New Zealand First did not have too much power. People are just waking up to the fact that we now have a real MMP parliament and those that criticise it are still back at the first past the post. I mean, first thing rule of politics is to learn to count and to be in government you needed 61 seats and there's no good winning, you know, 58 or 48 or whatever it is unless you can put together a government that's made up to 61 and so I don't, I don't necessarily see it that a party that got 7% deciding who's going to be the government, of course they've got a, a big say, but any party could have walked away from it. On the streets of Dunedin, which voted overwhelmingly for Labour, most voters didn't appear worried over whether Winston Peters had too much power. No, I didn't think he had too much power at all. I mean, those other parties could say no to him and then he'll just go with the other party, so, right? I know people looked at it as the tail wagging the dog and were a bit unhappy about it, but I, I'd prefer that to the opposite, to, to be honest. He was given a lot of power, too Did much Did New Zealand power. First get too much power? I think so, yes. No, I think that that was his moment of power in forming the government, but after that he's got to, you know, conform with a, a governing um, party now. He's got to toe the line. Probably, yes, but that's the nature of the electoral system. In the National Party vote stronghold of Epsom, a number of voters, but not all, were unhappy with how the government was formed. I wasn't happy at the time, but I guess you just get used to it. New Zealand First had 7% of the vote had the deciding factor, and I don't think that's right. The man who got 7%, he had more than too much power, yes. Well, I think it was all good, like, I've nothing wrong with it, yeah. I thought he spun it out. I mean, it was only what, well, I expected. Yes, yes, yes. I think he's a, an old piece of work. <laughs> I've never liked the MMP. I would much rather go back to first past the post. Well, it's not my favourite system, no, by any means. Winston Peters says his party did have influence in the negotiations, but it only went so far. 7% is not 7% in the circumstances that we're in. It's more than that, because it is the critical seven plus percent. And in the end, you know, cards do matter. If you're holding the joker, all the aces and all the kings, you might have a bit more influence than some of the commentators might think. But you should never exceed that influence, never go past what it uh, might mean, because in the end, you want the party that you're going with to be comfortable about where they're going, in a combined economic and social plan into the future that our views have both had a serious bearing on.
and theirs more than ours because they got more votes than we did. And Jacinda Ardern rejects suggestions Labour was on the back foot during talks with New Zealand First. No, not at all. And the point that I made during the negotiations was that actually power sits with all parties that sit at a negotiating table. Uh, All of us have a deciding role in what we are willing to uh, concede, compromise on or work collaboratively on and what we won't. We all have our bottom lines. Uh, And so it was up to us to determine what we were willing to do or where there was enough common ground to form a government. And also we had the ability at any point to make a decision that that common ground didn't exist. So I think probably there was more of an interpretation expressed around who was who had all the cards. But we had we had power too. And so did National. Peter Dunn can't understand why all the parties signed confidentiality agreements. So they can't talk about the details of the negotiations even though a deal has been done. I've been involved in five government formation negotiations, never got involved in signing pre-discussion confidentiality agreements or anything of that nature. You just accepted that they would be conducted in good faith. The one thing I always insisted on, and I'm not sure that's happened in this case, I hope it has, is that before we were presented with an agreement to sign, in other words, one that had been arrived in through good faith negotiation, we also knew what the other agreements were so that you didn't get into the position of you've been able to achieve X policy, but the agreement with another party effectively negates the attainment of that. Mr Dunn thinks the process has shaken people's confidence in MMP, but polling by UMR Insight, based here in Thorndon, just around the corner from Parliament, doesn't support that. A poll of 750 people conducted after the coalition government was announced, and with a margin of error of plus or minus 3.6%, found 50% of respondents were in favour of retaining MMP, while 38% wanted to change the electoral system. In the last poll on MMP in October 2011, only 43% supported retaining the system, while 37% wanted change. Sir Geoffrey Palmer believes most people criticising what happened after the 2017 election are upset National Party supporters or those not so keen on the New Zealand First leader. Back in Dunedin, most people, but not all, appear to support MMP. You get the most, best of both worlds in that, in that you can have a ruling body with a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit somewhere else. I, th- I just don't think people quite really have got to grips with the idea of, of MMP as a, as a system, whereby you don't get a first-past-the-post result. It's just simply the way it works. MMP works as designed. It may not be the result that people were expecting, but it works as designed. I would go back to first past the post if I had my way tomorrow. Just how this government manages the next three years will probably influence how people ultimately view the way it was pulled together. Winston Peters is optimistic, saying the government has a real commitment to change he's never seen before. What we have got is uh, much more dynamic than in the past from my experience and that is a desire to actually affect change and to deal with the fallout of um, the unkind, cruel, unsympathetic unsympathetic side of capitalism and global capitalism at that. Capitalism without a a conscience, capitalism without a human face, capitalism without a sense of responsibility. This is a, 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 a government that's setting out to deal with that and we're not ideologically bent on that. We're concerned to see that there's greater, far greater delivery of fairness and that we deal with some of the massive problems that we've got. 
homelessness, poverty, low incomes, and uh, serious hopelessness in parts of our society, as evidenced by our suicide rate, our mental health problems. These are huge for a country like ours, with the second highest incarcerated population in the whole wide world. There'd need to be some crisis thinking to form this government, and I'm pleased to say that that happened. A former government who put in place... Both Mr Peters and Ms Ardern are also committed to changing the way the government and parliament operate to be more reflective of MMP. In an immediate change, New Zealand First Ministers sit alongside their Labour counterparts on Parliament's front benches. We had a chat about the common sense of it all, that we were two parties in coalition, let's, let's demonstrate that. And so the big bulk of the cabinet positions and the heart of the house, so to speak, is occupied by Labour. And we're on that side, to the left of them. Not ideologically. Not <laughs> ideologically. And to the right are the Greens. But we are, because we're in the coalition government, that images that and reflects that. I mean, I've never liked this, the structure of the House ever since we've had MMP because the structure of the House is an adversarial, first-past-the-post environment and we should have changed this, the sitting arrangement in the House a long, long time ago. The Greens co-leader James Shaw says he supports the moves. The New Zealand First coalition agreement with Labor actually calls for a review of how Parliament functions in an MMP environment um, and so I think I actually applaud that. I think that's a really useful thing to kind of go, okay, let's sort of take stock because I do think that there's a lot of hangovers from first past the post that haven't necessarily translated terribly well into the more pluralistic environment we've got now. Jacinda Ardern says she's keen to run a government with a cohesive policy programme but one which also properly recognises all parties. I've tried to demonstrate that even in the portfolio allocation. New Zealand first, rightly so, hugely focused on regional economic development. I have to say, as labourers too, but that's a particular focus for them. So in assigning portfolios, I was mindful of that, to give them some extra space to put emphasis on those areas. The Greens, obviously, their focus in the environmental area, holding the portfolios in conservation and climate change, allows them to put extra emphasis on those strengths. And that's not, again, to say that we don't have interest and priorities in that, but that allows them to really focus on those areas of strength. And so even thinking about the way I constructed Cabinet was uh, in part thinking about playing to their strengths in MMP. She also wants to involve the National Party opposition more directly in government policy making. People do have expectations of opposition as well, and they are yes to hold us to account. That's their job. It's important. But also there is an opportunity to be constructive in an MMP government as well, that there may well be issues that they would like to see progressed, that they could seek to work collaboratively on. And there are a couple of you asked for examples on how I'd like to do things differently. There are two areas that I think we should be able to take the politics out of, and one would be child poverty and climate change. I've got two particular pieces of legislation that I am hoping for near unanimous support in Parliament. And so that, I think, will be a test on whether or not we can demonstrate that there is the ability to work together on particular issues. But will you be going directly to the National Party yes. rather than just through Parliament to sort of yes. say... Yes, I will. In fact, um, my intention is to provide a summary to Bill English around my child poverty legislation as soon as I can. Winston Peters also wants to do more to dilute the adversarial nature of Parliament. Uh, if you go to other environments, they sit like a delta. Uh, the Speaker's up there... Every group is lined up over here, looking in the same 
looking in the same direction, so to speak, rather than eyeballing each other in a beer pit, which is what our parliament sometimes resembles. So you, you want it to become a, a kinder, more quieter place? Yes. Where people keep their eye on the prize, which is not power, but the progress of the people they represent. Because, I mean, Jacinda Dern has also talked about trying to, I guess, talk more to national on, on policy issues. She, you know, talked about issues like climate change and child poverty. About, Do you think there's more room for a broader cross-party approach on some of those issues than we've seen in the past? Well, it's always often underestimated just how much cooperation does go on. Sure, yep. It's never spoken of because it's not controversial. And as your brethren in the media know, without controversy there's no headlines. So sadly it's always ignored. But we could get uh, do far better in terms of cooperation and I suspect the Prime Minister will because of her nature. Mr Peters is also keen to give select committees more influence. We could strengthen the power of the select committees. Uh, I've seen select committees uh, in other countries like, for example, in Germany, where the, finance, the equivalent of our Finance and Expenditure Select Committee it can't alter the budget, the global amount of the budget, but they can alter the contents, the elements within it. They're a seriously powerful select committee, but they are jealous of their powers. We have people here who go to a select committee and hear the evidence, but ask a party caucus who never heard the evidence, what do you think? Yeah. Now, we've got too much of that going on here. We've got enough, not enough people prepared to elevate the job of being a member of parliament and seeing that the issues of principle and policy are important, not just where you stand in the power circle of things. While it's unlikely any rule will be introduced directing how parties negotiate after elections, the government is foreshadowing more change here at Parliament to better reflect a government shaped and operating under MMP. If that happens, the opposition National Party might have more influence than any opposition in the past, and not just because it's got 56 seats in the Parliament. Change might be helped by the fact more and more MPs in the Parliament have had no experience of first-past-the-post politics. Remember the Prime Minister has only ever voted in MMP elections. For Jacinda Ardern, operating under MMP is more instinctive than for older politicians, and it appears she's more prepared to share power. But just how far will Labour, New Zealand First and the Greens go? This three-party administration working hard to finish off the year's business will still be under pressure to demonstrate it's not only a truly MMP government, but an effective one as well. Voters will pass judgement in 2020. I'm Brent Edwards, and that's Insight for this week. You can share and podcast this and other insights from rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. That programme was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by William Saunders. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is insight at radionz.co.nz and our Twitter handle is at insight rnz. Thanks for listening.